fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. Are there two bars? There's a top red one yeah. moving and a bottom red one moving. That's perfect. That looks like blood. But <laughs> good way to start this podcast is blood across the screen. You would. <laughs> That's an unfamiliar voice. You've never met her before. That's my, my good old friend, Whitney. Hello, podcasters. Hello. Is this your first podcast? It is my first podcast ever. You're going to be so perfect. I can't wait. I'm excited and also nervous at the same time. We got mm-hmm. a good story. We got good content. Mm-hmm. I think we have good chemistry together. Yes. But I hope I come across the way that I intended. I hope that you come across the way you come across to me. I can't really describe Whitney. I was trying to get Chase to help me earlier, like, describe Whitney. He's like, I can't. I was like, uh, first of all, Whitney read, did you read only one book or several books in preparation? Uh, well, I read one really good book, and the other ones I made sure to look for scholarly sources. Uh, <laughs> and then she was like, do you have a printer so I can print out my notes? And I was like, Whitney, nah, dog. It's not how we roll over here, but that's how Whitney rolls. She's a one on the Enneagram, if you know Enneagram stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so what are we talking about today? Talking about La Llorona. La Llorona. Yes. Whitney is also fluent in Spanish, so I thought this was a perfect episode for her. Ah, thank you. Because you can say it. See. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. See, 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 see. And Whitney is going to take over Hannah's spot this week and tell you all about La, La Llorona. Yes, we can pronounce and coronas. it. We can pronounce it just like our neighbors here down south. La Yorona. La Yorona. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we get? Is this when we start? This is where we do it. You know. just go for it. Tell All us right. about her. <clears throat> and I didn't look anything up hardly, so I don't even know what Whitney's going to say. Mm-hmm. Well, even better. Mm-hmm. In this podcast, we ask you to take a step back in time and ask you to become a kid again. Be you, but as a six-year-old at home with your family or at a friend's house or even summer camp. We want you to look at this story through the eyes and ears and fears of a child to truly feel the significance here. We're going to the river, y'all, but only during the day and wear your life jacket just for good measure. Wow. Yes. (laughs) That's Whitney. La Llorona is Spanish and translates to the weeping woman or the wailing woman in English. She is both a popular figure in Latin American literary and oral traditions. By this, I mean that her story lives on paper and also through word of mouth or storytelling. Different Latino countries have their own versions of her, just as Latin American communities here in the U.S. have their own versions. Her story has also made its way into popular culture. She has been referenced in TV shows. She has her own movies, including a kid's animated film that I got to see snippets of the other night. And there was even a Got Milk commercial featuring her. However, this isn't a fairy tale, kids. This is a cautionary tale. A run-in with this woman is not a good thing. There are no three wishes. There is no magic wand. Mm -hmm. There is no savior male figure to whisk her away to a happier life 
and there definitely is a, a and they lived happily ever after ending to this story. And that and that's what we call a scary tale. Yes, you? yes. Mm-hmm. So you're probably wondering or asking yourself, why in the world did people share this with their kids? I, can I ask something? I'm wondering yeah. why how they related her to a Got Milk commercial. Oh, um, so I could find the descriptions of it, but I couldn't find the actual commercial. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, she's like wandering around and wailing and goes through a house. Because, uh-huh. you know, in the story, you're going to later find out she's weeping and wailing, mm-hmm. trying to find her lost children. And she's doing this for milk. And she wanders into oh. a house and opens the fridge, gets the milk, takes a big gulp of it, and, uh-huh. like, is satisfied. She's no longer weeping or wailing. She's no longer upset. Like, that was her mission. Oh. And then closes the fridge and then goes back to wandering. That's weird. Yes. Well, you know, but it worked, though. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to give you all a disclaimer. There are multiple versions to this story. But we have tried to narrow down the, to the basics of what happens and also explain some of the variances while we're here. We also admit that we are not Latinas who grew up with La Llorona. She is new to us. We learned about her as adults. We are simply two Anglo-Americans who admit that our natural lens through which we see and interpret the world is limited. But we have enjoyed getting to know La Llorona, her history, and her significance to our Latin American and Latin American U.S. communities. Mm. So the story goes that La Llorona is a wife and mother that has been abandoned by her husband and out of despair, grief, or revenge, decides to murder her children by drowning them in a natural body of water. This could be a river or a lake, something like that. Mm -hmm. This woman then dies alone out of despair or sorrow, and as punishment in the afterlife, she then lurks by riverbanks, or just large bodies of water in general, in search of her children's bodies. She is known for her cries and wails that are only heard at night by large bodies of water as she searches for her children. So if you were a kid being told the story at bedtime, would you ever go outside at night by yourself to play by the water? Or even just go outside at night? I wouldn't go outside. I don't go outside at night. Just as a general rule. Probably not. There are many versions to this story and they change within Latin American countries and also in the Latin American communities here in the U.S., An added component to this story that can make it really scary is that this wailing woman that is searching for her children by large bodies of water at night may just be in search of new children to replace hers. Mm. So now she's a kid snatcher. Other versions say she relives her previous trauma and drowns the children she encounters. And other versions state that if kids see La Llorona, then something really bad will befall them in the near future. So you get to live and run back home after you see her, but something really bad will happen to you or to those you love. It could be anything. Kids have wild imaginations, and it could be that their family doll will run away, their mom will die, the house will burn up, something like that. The kid just ends up living in fear of the unknown. So if you were a kid, you really wouldn't go outside and play by water by yourself, whether it be night or day, would you? Not, not I. There are so many versions of this story, we could spend this entire podcast just sharing all the different regional versions, but for the sake of time and simplicity, we're just going to stick to the basic elements of this particular version. And what seems to remain static across the different versions are the three W's, woman, water, and wailing. We love alliteration here at Scary Tales. And and I'm Whitney. That's another W. Oh, wow. She's a wife and mother who was abandoned by her husband or lover, murdered her children, and gets denied entry into what we guess is heaven given her deeds, and as punishment has to spend eternity in the afterlife in sorrow while lurking around large bodies of water at night crying or wailing. And if kids see her, then something really bad happens to them. 
Either they get snatched, drowned, or have to live in eternal fear. It's as if seeing her is the end of childhood or childhood innocence. Mm, so she's kind of like a, she can either literally snatch you and take you, or she's just an omen. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Or she like curses you. Yeah. You know, so something bad happens. Either so it's way. Like you can no longer be that happy-go-lucky kid anymore. Mm -mm. You're now a kid that knows, oh no, like I can't be happy anymore because I'm going to be so stressed about what could possibly befall me or my family now that I've seen this woman by the water. Mm -hmm. So why in the world do parents and grandparents tell their kids this story? Remember how we studied this was a cautionary tale? Mm -hmm. Well, adults shared this with children to scare them into good behavior. So, we love that. <laughs> would you would you call this creative parenting or abusive parenting, Lacey? Uh, I would say creative. Yeah, let's go with creative. I feel like telling children like you're going to hell if you do something wrong is abusive parenting. Nah, you know, or or you might get murdered. Mhm. Mm you know, go play by water at night unattended, you know, you might get murdered. That's pretty bad. Yeah. You know, some people, they scare their kids at night. They, you know, their kids constantly get out of bed at night and they're mm -hmm. up and down trying to go to the kitchen or constantly trying to wake the parents up and they'll, they'll be really mean and be like, you know, the boogeyman lives under your bed. So if you put your feet down to leave your bed, the boogeyman will get you oh. to scare them into stay in your bed, uh -huh. like go to sleep. You wouldn't have to tell me twice. <laughs> I don't dangle my feet over the side of the bed when I sleep. So, you know, basically... Adults share this with them to scare them into good behavior. Don't go out at night by yourself. Don't swim after dark. Don't play by water without an adult. And I'm sure it worked. I mean, how many children has this story saved? Think about it. Like, how many kids were too scared to do all these things that they probably shouldn't have been doing? Mm -hmm. And the adults, like, kept their kids safe. In South America. Well. Right. Is it just in South America? No. Um, all of Latin America. Oh, okay. And then also the Latin American communities that live in the U.S. too. Oh, they... they yeah, do. they also have their own versions uh -huh. of the story. And adults could alter this story any which way they needed for their particular case. You know, they could say, don't forget to wear your life jacket so that La Llorona can't drown you. Or be sure to work hard during swimming lessons so you can outswim La Llorona if she comes for you. Mm. Don't swim too far away out of adult sight. Only swimming during the day. Don't try to go out at night and do it. Or only go swimming or play by the water with adults so that we can protect you. Um, always be home before dusk. People could even stretch this to swimming pools just for safety if they had to. You know, if they have a pool in their backyard or if they're going to a hotel, you know, mm -hmm. they could get creative with it. You said natural body of water. Well, that's where she's at. But, yeah. you know, there are different versions and parents can alter it. Mm -hmm. to make it work for whoever, whatever situation they needed to. Mm -hmm. So think back to when you were a kid, because you're probably thinking, well, why did kids even think this was scary? So we have to remember, we have to be a child to think like a child and have the, the fear of a child. So let's stop using our adult logic and let's go back to being a kid. That's easy for me, already there. So think back to when you were a kid and you're in your room in the dark and you hear a noise outside of your window. You hear something fall in your closet. Or you think you hear the creak of an old door downstairs in the garage. Being in the tarp, being in the dark was scary, but that noise, <laughs> being in a tarp is also scary. <laughs> well, though. yeah, being in a tarp would also be dark. <laughs> but you know, the darkness is scary, but that noise was really scary. The story doesn't rely on the visual components as much as it relies on the auditory components. I mean, the woman's name already plays into that, as she is called the wailing woman or the weeping woman. It indicates right off the bat you're going to hear something. But remember, you hear her before you see her. 
So how would kids hear this? It all, go, it all goes back to childhood imagination and maturity and how they've interpreted and lived with fear. So your kid, think of dusk by a river or a lake with a lot of trees and general natural overgrowth. Maybe, something hang, maybe some hanging branches and the wind starts to blow and make a whistling noise. Low-hanging branches rustle into the bushes. Or maybe there's a concrete storm drain nearby and the wind blowing through there starts to sound like wailing. Can you hear it? Mm-hmm. We need sound effects. <laughs> These noises are warning signs. The spotty sense of that kid is saying, okay, it's time to get back home before I either get killed or this woman curses me, my friends, or my family. What's important to note in the story is that it warns you that you will hear her before you see her. Kids have imaginations that a lot of us have lost, so all it takes is that little bit of darkness setting in, the visual of the water, and now that noise that could be someone crying. As kids, we fear what cannot be seen more than what is seen. Hearing her is the warning, but seeing her is the end. At least you have a chance. Yeah. If you hear yeah. her, you can get away. So what does she look like? You know, we know what noises she makes, and we can kind of see as adults thinking about it, how, you know, noises in nature can kind of mimic the weeping or the wailing that a kid might hear and scares them back to go back home. Mm-hmm. But what does she look like if you do see her? Well, going back to the three W's that we see recurring throughout the different regional versions, woman, water, and wailing or weeping, the other W that I want to throw in there is white because most of the versions I've read and the depictions I've seen are a scary-looking woman wearing a tattered white gown. And she has long, dark hair. And she has a, either a scary, like, distorted-looking face or, like, a zombie-looking face. Or sometimes the face is just kind of ghost-like, so you can't really make out much. And so her appearance gives you a good contrast of light and dark. And at night, the background is already dark. So it would be easy for a streetlight, someone's flashlight, or the moon to shine in a particular place by a lake or riverbank. And this white beam could be interpreted as La Llorona. Mm. Kids at night might see the reflection of some sort of light reflecting on dark waters and think, it is La Llorona herself. She's here. Some versions have her in black, but I really do like the imagery and the symbolism of her wearing white for this story. Mm -hmm. Seeing her in white just adds such richness to this story because white in Latin American culture and Latin American U.S. communities is associated with brides, Mm -hmm. the quinceanera dress, Catholic confirmation dresses, and then for non-Catholics, baptisms. I mean, we wore white, and Mm -hmm. I know other churches, they had the person being baptized wearing white. You know, white represents purity. But she ain't pure no more. But is she pure? Mm Mm-mm. Or is her task in the afterlife her search for renewed purity? Oh, I she's see. Playing, it's, it's like well, she's not going to get it. She's out drowning pen- kids. Serving her penance. Well, you know, it's a constant search. Mm-hmm. Is she in search of her children to pay penance for her sin and maybe somehow find forgiveness? She's sacrificing other children. Yeah, I know. I know. She kind of, I picture the girl from The Ring or the lady from Corpse Bride, the cartoon. Yes, the the ring imagery that that works well mm-hmm. with the ones that I've seen. Yeah. And you would think, you know, that black would be what they'd want to cast her in because of the darkness of night already and, you know, dark being associated, not dark, but evil being associated with black. But you it's know, creepier when it's ironic and not what you expected. Yes. And it also just kind of separates her from the traditional, like, u.s witch story Mm -hmm. you know because she's not a witch Mm -mm. you know this is not she is not a witch she is not a bruja no bruja no 
No. Whitney and I, she also loves it when I practice my Spanish with her. Yes. Yes. It's how we grow. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about her a little bit about what she looks like. Um, let's talk about the water in the story. We use water in a religious context for baptism, and it is seen as a renewal. You are now a confirmed believer, and the act of baptism washes away your past self and sinful nature and allows you to now live as a believer in your faith. However, she does not use water for purity or religious reasons. She uses it against her children and uses it out of revenge. Maybe she was just trying to baptize them. Water was not a source of goodness. Rather, she used it as a tool for evil. Water here can be seen as both life or renewal of life or death. To take it a step further, women birth babies by shedding the water surrounding the baby. Oh, When we talk about pregnant women, you know, when the water breaks, that means the baby is on the way. It indicates life. Well, La Llorona, she was a mother herself. She brought her children into this world with a shedding of waters through birth and also took them out in water through drowning. The circle of life, mm-hmm. La Llorona version. All goes back to water. Mm-hmm. Water is also used to indicate refreshment or to satisfy thirst. But her punishment of walking up and down water and or up and down bodies of water and living in eternal thirst for something she can never be that can never be twitched is her punishment. Water is very is a very powerful earthly being. It is as if she has taken symbols we usually associate with goodness or purity and turned it into evil and fear. Would you say her continued wandering by water and search in the afterlife is her yearn for a type of baptism and renewal from her past sins? I'll let you decide. Mm. Mm. Again, I'm going to say no. She <laughs> continues to drown people and or ruin their lives. So now you're probably wondering, now, why did she murder her children, though? Mm-hmm. Didn't she have other options? Nope. Well, we have to look at the time period and context here. This particular story has been carried on for centuries by parents that had societal norms that were different from our own in current day. We also have to look at Latino culture. Single mothers were not supported or seen as honorary. They had less means to support their households and held social stigma. The woman and children were left abandoned, and even though the woman wasn't the one who did the leaving, she was still seen as less than, or it was thought that the husband's leaving was her fault. So the woman still gets blamed here. You know, in the story of La Llorona, I never see the man get blamed for anything. Never in any story. Like no one, no one talks about the man's punishment for abandoning abandoning his children and the mother of the children like right. he just gets away it's it's very similar to our true crime story yeah. so um she's now left behind and she's getting blamed here her children have to grow up abandoned and left to starve and scrimp by as best they can in a way she was stuck between choosing between different types of prisons prison one The children live and suffer along with their mother's reputation and lack of resources and grow up stigmatized, further debilitating their potential futures for societal mobility, education, careers, etc. Prison 2. Kill them so that they don't have to suffer due to the short-term and long-term consequences of being abandoned by their father. In a way, kill them to save them from long-time suffering and misery. She's probably thinking, you know, I don't have a way to feed these kids. I don't want to watch them suffer over a period of, you know, days, weeks, or months, or whatever, if I can't even find food for them. So let me just take them out now. Mm-hmm. Prison three, choose to exact revenge on the husband or lover who left her by killing her children as a riot act, or be overcome by utter despair and grief that drives her to kill her children. In this scenario, her hatred for her husband and her emotions outweigh a mother's love. 
Mm. None of those sound like where I want to be. Yep. Or using today's lens and what we know now, prison four, is that she was possibly already living in a prison known as postpartum depression. There it is. We don't know the ages of the children, but this theory has been brought up in current times, and I found it interesting as it segues into the true crime element coming up next. The abandonment was the event that caused the hormonal and behavioral avalanche. And as punishment for her heinous act, she is sentenced to forever live in a prison in and of itself and that she has to endlessly wander by large bodies of water in search for her children and terrorize the living children. She has no rest. Her children have a tragic ending that cannot be remedied. There is no forgiveness. There is no moving on. She must repeatedly live with guilt and despair from being both abandoned by her husband or lover and murdering her children. Like I said, this is not a happy tale. It's a scary tale. Yes. It's a tale that continues to live on. I noticed how La Llorona has basic elements that have survived centuries, and I think what keeps her going and keeps the fear of her alive is that it's very vague about her background and entire situation. Some versions say she was abandoned by a lover. Others say a husband. Some say she married a cowboy. Some say she killed her children to protect them from European colonizers. Colonizers. There's tons of options here if you want to look at all the different versions. Some say the lover was a man of noble status and she was poor, so they could never be together anyway. So he said, you know, you know, we, our, our society will never accept us being together, so I'm just going to have to leave you and go back to my rich way of living. You go back to your poor way of living, and here's all the kids, and best of luck. Mm-hmm. The story doesn't really rest on the specifics. It doesn't focus on La Llorona as being rich or poor, educated or uneducated. I think it's left basic so that no child feels like La Llorona doesn't apply to his or her situation or community. For example, La Llorona only goes after poor kids or rich kids, only kids of a certain faith or skin color. So whether your dad is the town mayor or the town drunk, she's coming for you if you aren't careful. She's a coming. She's a coming. Wow. All right. I feel so educated. I mean, and Whitney educates me on all things in life. There is so but, much more I could share, mm-hmm. but I had to like cut myself off when I was looking it up. I, I know realized you did. This is not a doctoral level thesis. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many other like subjects we could cover within La Llorona. Weren't you telling me uh, at some point about the Aztecs? Yes. Like, even the Aztecs yes. had a version of her? Yep. That's way back. Well, or they're saying that the La Llorona story was derived from an Aztec story. Yeah. And then I've seen some where theories where this story came from a mix of native and European colonizer stories that kind of blended together to create mm-hmm. itself. So, I mean, this story goes deep. It does. It goes real deep. Like most stories do. Are you going to be her? Can you be her next year for Halloween? Uh, maybe. We'll think about it. Okay. I don't want to tear up my wedding dress, though. You thrift store. Yeah, I guess I can get a thrift store one and tatter it up real good. Have to get a dark wig, mm-hmm. get an old veil, cover myself. Right. That'd be make me look more ominous. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Well, uh, stick around for the true crime segment that I'm not looking forward to telling because it's very sad. I'm not looking forward to hearing. But we'll catch you after the break. We're back. Are you excited? I'm nervous. This is. I'm nervous. I don't want to tell this one. I don't like any anything with children. But you, yeah. I mean, 
based off of everything you just told me, there was no other story I could pick. So. I mean, La Llorona, I can get through because, you know, I'm an adult. I know it's not real. Mm-hmm. But, but, but now we're talking about things that are real, and these were people's lives. But is La Llorona not real? Uh, I feel like that's I mean, up for debate. I mean, I guess that's up for debate. That doesn't scare me as much as this does because I'm a mom myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm familiar with postpartum depression, mm-hmm. and I'm familiar with, you know, a mother's love and the thought of anything happening to your child. Mm-hmm. And those, to me, are the real fears. I'm not scared of La Llorona. Yeah. I'm scared of this. Uh, it's terrifying. I know. So I'm sure that most people are familiar with the story of Andrea Yates. When I told you that's what we were doing, did you remember? I didn't. But oh. as you shared the details, mm-hmm. it started coming back to me. Right. So it coincides with the cautionary tale that Whitney just told us of La Llorona because in 2001, Andrea Yates infamously drowned all five of her children in the bathtub. So we got a, Whitney's over there shaking her head. Uh, We got a while until we get to that part. So this was the biggest story of that year until 9-11 happened. So I was 11 at the time and I remember hearing about this, but at the time, I don't remember people being sympathetic towards her at all. I just remember there being a general consensus that she was an evil woman who murdered her children maliciously. But as I did my research, I personally do not believe that to be the case. Andrea was just a very, very ill person, and many unfortunate events and cries for help led to this tragedy. But as always, we start at the beginning here. So Andrea Yates was born Andrea Pia Kennedy on July 2nd, 1964 in Houston, Texas. She was the youngest of five children and raised in a Catholic household. She graduated from Milby High School in Houston, Texas in 1982 and was the class valedictorian, captain of the swim team, and an officer in the National Honor Society. So she was going places. She Sounds was, like what I imagine you were like in high school. Oh no, she, no? Was, she was very accomplished. Mm-hmm. I was not a captain of any team. And I was not in the I was a captain society. of the dance team. That's yeah. my like, that's my only fame, yeah, call she, to fame. She was accomplished. She that's was. for sure. So while she appeared to have it all together on the outside, Andrea was secretly struggling with bulimia. And as we'll see, this is one of the first signs of a deeper problem that will just continue to grow and grow. But she did go on and she graduated from the University of Texas School of Nursing and worked at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center from 1986 until 1994. And then in 1989, she met Russell, uh, better known as Rusty Yates, and he was her neighbor at the apartment complex they both lived at. A little on Rusty, he was raised near Nashville where he played football and was active in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at DuPont Senior High School. So she was Catholic. He was also came from a religious family, and he was actually really well-liked. He was voted Mr. DuPont at his school. And then Whitney's going to love this. He went to Auburn University, which is where Whitney was born and raised. <sighs> Shall we give it one bodigitta? No. Bodigitta, 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 ba. I don't finish. Ce- don't celebrate this. No. Well, he didn't do it. Anyway, he eventually became an engineer with NASA. So also a very smart man, uh, book smart, as we'll see later. I don't think he had a lot of common sense, but they quickly moved in together and eventually married on April 17th, 1993. At their wedding, the couple vowed to have as many children as nature would allow. And for this reason, Andrea was not on birth control, which is very much like the Duggars, Duggar situation there. They, well, how many did they end up having? 21, 20? They were just falling out at the end. Uh, 
Wasn't it 19? I think they ended up having 20. I don't know. I remember the show 19 Kids and Counting, but I can't remember if she had more after that. I don't know. It was a lot, is my point. In 1994, the Yates had their first child, Noah, and they were living in a four-bedroom house in Houston. But then they would go on to have four more children, John, Paul, Luke, and Mary. Very biblical. But right after Noah was born, they relocated to Florida because Rusty got a new job, and they were living in a small trailer home. But by the time their third child, Paul, was born, the family was ready to move back to Houston. And at this time, they were convinced that they didn't need half of the items that they had placed in storage, and the Yates purchased a 350-square-foot remodeled Greyhound bus to live in. The Yates purchased the bus from a man by the name of Michael Warinecki, and Rusty had met Michael while studying at Auburn University. Have you ever heard of Michael Warinecki? I have not. You can watch a lot of videos on him on YouTube. They're very creepy, very scary. He was a fire and brimstone type preacher who visited college campuses, essentially just to warn people that they were going to hell. And his belief was that even if you thought you were going to heaven, you were going to hell because that was prideful for thinking you were going to heaven. So um, pretty much everyone was going to hell. Uh, He was known for being arrested several times in the early 1980s in Grand Rapids, Michigan for berating people with his bullhorn. One of those type, very reminiscent of the Westboro Baptist Church to me. Mm, yeah. The Yates began to follow Michael's brainwashing, his teachings, and there were several tenets or principles to this. One was he believed in the traditional man and wife roles. The man stayed home. I mean, excuse me, got that wrong. The man went and worked. The wife stayed home, raised the children. That was her only job was to bear children. He also didn't believe in medicine, so birth control was a no-no getting any medication for childbirth was a no-no and he was quoted as saying women have a duty to a natural childbirth as a humbling rite of passage how do you feel about that having given birth well i had a medicated childbirth Mm -hmm. but i don't feel like my childbirth experience was any less than Mm -hmm. because it was not you know natural right it wasn't a walk in the park no either way it didn't make it easy Mm -hmm. Um, that just makes me want to just kick him straight in the the gonads but that decision should be made between you and your doctor right amen another tenant was that traditional schooling was not acceptable only homeschooling because you know you go to public school and then you're just you believe in sex and rock and roll and drugs yeah. i got that wrong well how do you say that normally drug, drug sex. sex and rock and roll there yeah. you go um also, and we just talked about this, how they sold off everything they had and moved into that tiny trailer. They were very anti-materialism, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but they sold off everything, including all of the wedding gifts she had been giving and a sewing machine that she liked a lot. And then one that comes into play later on the story is that bad children come from bad mothers. So if you are a bad mother, your children don't have a chance. And by the time Andrea Yates killed her children, she believed that Satan was inside of her and had irrevocably damaged her children. So, by the time her fourth child, Luke, was born, Andrea really began to struggle with her mental health. And on June 16, 1999, she called Rusty at work because she was extremely anxious. And when he arrived home, he found Andrea shaking and biting her fingers. Not her fingernails, just chewing on her fingers. And she told her husband that she needed help. So instead of taking her to the hospital, the next day, Rusty took Andrea and the children to Andrea's parents' home where he thought Andrea would feel more comfortable and could have some support. 
But on the afternoon of June 17th, while the rest of the family was napping, Andrea attempted to overdose on 40 trazodone pills, and she survived but was left in a coma for 10 days. When she was medically stable, they transferred her to a psychiatric unit where James Flack, that was her doctor, diagnosed her with major depressive disorder, single episode severe. However, Rusty requested that she be discharged home to family's care, and Flack prescribed her Zoloft and referred her to an outpatient psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Starbranch. And I believe that Dr. Starbranch and James Flack had both said this was the sickest woman that they had ever seen. So mm. this marked the beginning of a spiral into a full-blown psychosis that was never adequately treated. And on July 20th, shortly after being released from the hospital, she was uh, readmitted because Rusty found Andrea attempting to slit her throat. So once she went back to the hospital, they discovered that Andrea had been taking her Zoloft inconsistently and had flushed the Zyprexa, which is an antipsychotic, down the toilet. And when asked what happened, Yates was quoted by hospital psychologist as saying, I had a fear I would hurt somebody. I thought it better to end my own life and prevent it from happening. And then she described these hallucinations she was having, quote, there was a voice, then an image of the knife. I had a vision in my mind, get a knife, get a knife. And then she acknowledged the obsessive thoughts she was having, quote, over our children and how they'll turn out. And then she grew nervous about the, quote, the kids trying to train them upright, being so young. It's a big responsibility. I don't want to fail. So while at the hospital, the psychiatrist had actually recommended electric shock therapy, but both Andrea and Rusty refused this. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Isn't that like the last resort? It's one of the more extreme measures. Yeah. Something you can do after medications and other types of therapies. If they're not working, you can move on to... It kind of just like restart, jumpstarts your brain. I think it's ECT. Mm -hmm. I don't know the the workings behind it. Mm -hmm. Upon her discharge, Andrea was prescribed an injectable cocktail of Haldol and Cogentin, and she was also prescribed Effexor and Wellbutrin. And this seemed to be working at first, because I don't know how that wouldn't. You're getting all those. You're either going to... I mean, she might be a zombie, but she's going to be better. Wait, so her husband allowed her to stay in the hospital and receive medical care and get medications. Mm-hmm. For, but only for three weeks this time. And then she would she went home. So he allowed that to happen in a hospital, but mm-hmm. he wouldn't allow it at home. And, well, it didn't, he never said that he didn't allow her to take the meds at home. She didn't want to take them or took them inconsistently. Because, you know, psych meds, you take them, you feel better, and you think, oh, I don't need these. Oh, okay. I think I misunderstood earlier. Yeah. I thought that he believed in no, and, well, no he, medicine whatsoever. Right. So I was wondering why he even took her to a hospital. Right. I don't know. Maybe because it just got so bad. That who, was, was, who was taking care of the kids? Uh, I believe her, um, not her, her mother-in-law would help out. What did her parents think of this? Her dad had Alzheimer's and she was his caregiver. Oh, no. So, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. That was another thing that we had going on. But uh, Oh, no. By this release from the hospital, Rusty thought, hmm, maybe a 350-square-foot Greyhound bus isn't that great of a home environment for someone who is struggling heavily with their mental health. So he buys a three-bedroom house, thinking that this might improve Andrea's well-being. So at one of her first follow-up outpatient visits with Dr. Starbranch, Andrea reported that she wanted to get off her medications and wanted more children. And Dr. Starbranch urged the couple not to have more children and basically told them, if you do this, the chances that she's going to have another psychotic break 
is really high. And I watched interviews with Rusty where he essentially said her having one of these psychotic breaks would be worth it if they were able to have another child because they knew what fixed it, which was Haldol. Mm. So that was Haldol's, using Haldol is kind of like a safety net. Oh. And by March 2000, Andrea was pregnant again, and she gave birth to her final child, daughter Mary, on November 30th, 2000. Three months later, unfortunately, Andrea's father died from Alzheimer's disease. She was very close to him, and this made her psychosis return with a vengeance. She stopped eating, she stopped speaking, she was self-mutilating, and she was refusing to feed baby Mary. She was readmitted to the hospital again, and this time the physicians appealed to have her committed to Austin State Hospital, and they both checked boxes that indicated that Andrea was a danger to herself and was unable to make rational treatment choices. So rather than having Andrea committed to the state hospital, Rusty just wanted her to stay at the hospital she was at. The only problem with this was if she had been placed in a state hospital, her stay would not have been limited to insurance plans. When she stayed at the regular hospital after 12 days, she was discharged back into her family's care. But Rusty was given strict instructions that Andrea would need 24-hour supervision and should not be left alone with the children. And for this reason, Rusty's mother was helping out as much as she could. On May 3rd, 2001, Andrea degenerated back into a near-catatonic state, and her mother-in-law found her drawing a bath in the middle of the day. Andrea would later confess to the police that she had planned to drown the children that day, but had decided against doing it. But her psychologist or psychiatrist at the time thought that she was just suicidal and had filled the bathtub to drown her own self. Which my question being, how do you drown yourself in a bathtub? I don't know. That, that logic doesn't add up to me. I mean, I'm sure maybe she was going to have ropes and some type of weighted something and she'd have to flip herself prone. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't uh, investigated that. Andrea was eventually discharged back home. Surprise, surprise. And two weeks before the murders, for reasons that I couldn't find, the doctor took Andrea off the Haldol. So here we here we go to, to the part that you're not going to want to listen to. But no. on the morning of June 20th, 2001, Russell Yates left for work around 8.30 a.m. with plans for the mother, his mother to take over parenting duties from Andrea in about one hour. So she would be left home with the children for just one hour. And after saying goodbye to Russell, Andrea Yates prepared cereal for her four eldest boys before going to the bathroom to fill up the tub. She drowned the three youngest boys first, then wrapped them in sheets and laid them on the bed. And then she drowned baby Mary and left her floating in the water. The oldest son, Noah, who was seven at the time, heard what was going on. And he confronted his mom and asked what's wrong with Mary. And that is when Andrea chased Noah down and captured him and then drowned him in the bathtub next to his sister. So drowning an older child was obviously more of a struggle. I don't, she must have been in some psychotic, got some type of psychotic strength because I can't imagine trying to drown a seven-year-old in not that deep of water. But he was continually coming up for air and she later confessed that at one point he said, mommy, I'll be good because children are innocent and they automatically think, oh, I did something wrong. But um, anyways, all five children were drowned and placed on the bed, except for Noah. He was left floating face down in the tub. And Mary and John supposedly had a really special bond, so Andrea laid Mary in John's arms. And then she called 911 and told them that she needed assistance. And then she called Rusty and told him that he needed to come home immediately. And when asked why, Andrea told him that something was wrong with the children. And when he asked 
which one she said all of them and he kind of instantly knew what was wrong so the police get there rusty get there they said she looked like an absolute zombie and they arrested her and she told a psychiatrist that her children quote would not grow up to be righteous and she believed that killing them before they turned sinful had saved them from hell but she also believed that her execution for killing them would defeat satan on earth so she essentially wanted to die she believed that she was guilty and wanted to die and she believed i don't i don't even think he was governor at that point anymore but she believed that george bush would carry out or succeed where she failed in killing herself and the reason she had tried to kill herself those other times was because she didn't want to harm the children so she thought killing herself would fix that so she was living in a prison Mm -hmm. in her Uh, own mind yes and nobody was helping her Mm -hmm. in texas in order to use the insanity plea you have to prove that the defendant was unable to discern right from wrong which i assume is very hard to do because who says what's right and what's wrong you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's a construct but the prosecution brought up two points one that andrea waited for rusty to leave the house before she drowned the children so that he couldn't stop her and then b they had a dog that was always out and she had put the dog up so the dog wouldn't interfere with drowning the children but to that i say she believed what she was doing was right and nobody was going to stop her from that so that's And she did it before the mother-in-law could get there, right? Uh Yeah. Mm. In March of 2002, the jury rejected the insanity defense and sentenced Andrea to life in prison. And Andrea went to jail where she refused to eat and eventually ended up back in the hospital. However, in 2005, an appeals court discovered that false testimony by an expert for the prosecution had tainted the 2002 trial. Jurors had been told that Yates had likely seen an episode of Law and Order in which a mother who drowned her children was found not guilty by claiming insanity, but no such episode ever existed. So this wins Andrea a new trial where she is declared not guilty by reason of insanity, and she was sentenced to remediation in the Kernville State Hospital, which is a low-security mental facility in Texas. And to this day, her release comes up for every year, and each year, Andrea waives the right to be released. Uh, She believes that she's where she needs to be, and it's said that she spends her days making arts and crafts and watching videos of her children, and it's said that she grieves for her children. To note, Rusty supported Andrea throughout the whole thing, throughout her trial. He's never blamed her for what happened. I imagine because he has some guilt of his own, because to me, he's the real problem here, but... He did file for divorce, which was finalized in 2004, but he still visits her once a year in the hospital. He also did remarry and have one child, but then they they got divorced. Not sure why. But I think to close, kind of like how you closed out your section, the important thing to note is that postpartum psychosis, although it only affects one out of a thousand women after giving birth, this is different than just baby blues, which affects about 75% of people, and it should be considered a medical emergency because... Those who develop it, 5% have a, there's a suicide rate of 5% and a 4% infanticide rate with those. So it's not something to play around with ever. Neither is postpartum depression. No. So, you know, watch out for your friends that just had a baby. I'd watch after you, but Silas is almost a year old, so. I know, but postpartum depression can happen. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to happen right after the birth. You know, there's still time for it to emerge later. Mm-hmm. And I guess something we want our listeners, we want some good to come out of this for our listeners, mm-hmm. you know, not just entertainment. We want them to learn. And, you know, maybe you weren't as familiar with depression and how severe it can be in the postpartum experience and the the weight of a mother sometimes. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are places to go for help. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the one good thing about technology is if you live in a rural area and you don't have close access to counselors or a medical facility of some mm-hmm. sort or friends or family, the internet can be your friend and it's opened up chat rooms and resources and mm-hmm. you can also do counseling via Zoom. Yeah. You know, there, there are resources for you so that you don't have to suffer. Yeah. And it's, I hate that it's been something that's been stigmatized and we, you know, blow it up in the media you know Mm -hmm. we're kind of guilty of using this for our own entertainment ourselves right now but it's also can be used for explaining what's really going on that we may not see as neighbors Mm -hmm. or friends or church members or co-workers you know Mm -hmm. just something to think about and be an advocate for it yeah andrea the story of andrea yates is a cautionary tale yeah don't don't shame her for it learn from it right so you just heard the story what how do you feel about andrea yates I mean, I'm sick at my stomach, just the mm-hmm. thought of it. And then when you told me that she laid the baby in mm-hmm. the other son's arms and that she wasn't feeding her baby, mm-hmm. those those two visuals in my head don't take me to a good place. No. I think that she was a sick woman who needed a lot of help. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, I don't know how her husband and in-law, maybe the husband and in-laws were just so deep into it Mm-hmm. They didn't realize how severe it had gotten. Because, I mean, did she have any friends? Did know. she have any friends from college or friends as an adult, friends from their church? I mean, did did they notice anything? Were they worried? Were there any were there any clues? He probably kept her secluded with, you know, being very religious. It kind of sounded like she was living in that 350-square-foot trailer with six people, yeah. just being miserable. Also, her other family members suffered. Her brother suffered from... I don't remember if it was schizophrenia. And then her mom was German and was in over there when World War II was happening and had postpartum. I mean, not postpartum, PTSD and mm. mental problems ran in the family. So, And it's just so sad that, you know, I hate that she had those events. Mm-hmm. But I also hate that the children had to suffer too. Yeah. They didn't even get a chance. Well, what they were saying is, Anytime that she was well, she was a perfect mom. That she, mm-hmm. All the home videos, she was a great mom, loved her children, but she wasn't herself when she committed the crime. She was very, very ill. So, mm-hmm. anyways, do you have anything bright and cheery that, to end this on a good note? <laughs> I, I don't know how you could. I mean, I think the only good note mm-hmm. sticking with our theme here is saying that there are more resources for you if you need help for mental illness Mm -hmm. than back in 2001 especially with you know covid keeping us trapped in our homes for so long and Mm -hmm. facilities shutting down online and virtual consults are available so i think that's one good thing yeah i think that if you have and i think the world is trying to in a way find a way to you know reduce the stigma of mental illness yeah, we still have a long and way to go, but we, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, but we're working on it, you know? Whitney is my coworker, if you didn't know. And Whitney, my friend, is on the... When I'm in the ICU, Whitney's always on the psych unit. That's yes. It. That is her home. Yes. And, you know, our our own employer offers a free service mm-hmm. to an, a virtual or in-person counseling center. That's nice. I didn't so, know I mean, that. our employer even offers that. So if we need it, it's yeah. there. And I'm glad to see that employers offer that. Right. But there's no help for La Llorona. If you find her out there, we can't help you there. No. That, she's going to snatch you up. Yeah. She's been around for centuries. And she ain't she's going been, away. She's been going strong and she's still out there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much, Whitney, for coming and sitting. I might, I might have you back. I might make you do it again. Thank you for having me as a guest. I enjoyed it today. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. In the meantime, you can go uh, to our Instagram, Scary Tales Podcast. There's a link tree. You can check out our merch. I hate, I hate that word, but you know our sweatshirts, our shirts. They're all fun. They're all cozy. It's getting cold. It's getting Christmas time. You might need a gift to buy. We'll uh, see you in the next time, though. So you have to go. Bye bye. Bye-bye. No, you have to go, bye-bye. Bye-bye. No, more Southern. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Well, that'll work. Sound like a cartoon character. (laughs) This...